Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. Good to have you all with us. Let's all stand together at our various campuses and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning, as well as those gathering in Appleton and Stevens Point, and those watching online and on television. Good to have you with us uh, worshiping today. We want to give a quick update to our Go Beyond campaign. About a year, it's coming up on a year pretty soon ago, we uh, had a uh, campaign to raise some uh, additional funds for the church, and uh, we took pledges of $1.2 million, and we want to take a look at where we're at today on that. We are... Appleton's up to uh, 37,000, Stevens Point up almost to 86,000, West Green Bay uh, 99,000, and on the east side here, the largest campus, obviously, is $370,000, a total of $592,313, so praise God for that. <laughs> Let me tell you what's so significant about that and what I love about this church. It's almost a fact in the fundraising world uh, that when you take pledges, you can pretty much kiss off 20, 30, even 40% of it will never come in, okay? Uh, churches will tell you this. Consultants for churches will tell you this. Uh, you take the pledges, and then you got to figure you're going to sh fall short at some level. Well, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary, and we are almost exactly at the halfway mark, which means exactly what we pledge is exactly what people are doing. And I think it's a great credit to you, and thank you for that. That's what I like about Wisconsin people. We say what we're going to do and do what we say, right? If we don't, if we don't like in Wisconsin, we'll tell you. <laughs> I have to wonder, I like the Bible Belt. I'm not a big fan of the Bible Belt. Quite frankly, it irritates me. But, you know, I visit from time to time. Uh, but, you know, down there, if they love you, they'll say, oh, bless your heart. And if they hate your guts, they'll say, oh, bless your heart. You know, <laughs> you have no idea where you stand, you know. At least here, it's pretty clear, right? We know where we stand, and none of this phony baloney, oh, yeah, I'll do such and such, and then not do it. Uh, so we had everybody step up and said, this is what I'll do. And we're doing what we said we're going to do. And good for you. Praise God for that. We're excited. And just a quick holler out to Kelly and Andrew Klaus this week, our winners of Whammy Awards, the Wisconsin Music Awards. And it's pretty cool. Our own guys here, father and son. Congratulations. All right. We are in uh, part seven of an eight-part series on the Apostles' Creed, the thing that we just got, stood together and said. Uh, is who we are, what we believe, and we've been breaking it down, going through it, and just teaching on it, trying to make it clear, reminding ourselves exactly what it is that we're saying and why we say it. We are now up to this, a second to the last section here, where it says, we believe in 
the forgiveness of sins. Now at Celebration Church, we do believe in the forgiveness of sins. We do not, however, believe in the ignoring of sins. And there's a big difference. There's a lot of people today who believe you can't tell people the truth. You can't teach the truth. You can't talk about what's right and wrong. No, you can't say what's right and wrong because you'll make people feel bad. And you can't have people feel bad. Oh, God forbid we make anybody feel bad. And I know of churches, I've been to many of them where I've spoken, and they get nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs because they just, we don't want anybody to feel bad. We don't, they'll tell me, no, brother, we, we don't want anybody to feel bad. Don't say they make anybody feel bad. And I think, really? And the only people in the world who don't feel bad are psychopaths. It's true. It's the definition of a psychopath. A psychopath is a someone who does horrible things and they feel no guilt or remorse whatsoever. Like, dear God, what in the world are we doing today? Jesus did not call us to create a generation of psychopaths. We don't want you ever to feel bad. I got news for you. If you do something bad, you ought to feel bad. How about that? Well, I want to feel bad. Well, here's a thought. How about stop doing bad things? Yes, okay? So anyway... It's not that we hate people. Nobody hates anybody. It's just that we believe in right and wrong. And this idea that grace is, uh, eliminates the truth or that truth and right and wrong is antithetical to grace is patently absurd because Jesus was full of both. We read about it in John, the 11th, uh, first chapter, 14th verse. The apostle John is writing uh, about Jesus. And he says, the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus had both in him. You can have grace, and they do not cancel each other out. Okay, we don't have to think that we have to, don't. And there's a lot of churches literally today who don't teach the truth because they're afraid that people will get upset or they just, you know, we're just all about grace here. And I think, at that point, you're not really grace. You just turn into grease. It doesn't make any sense to me. They do not define or, or cancel out each other. Now, people will say, now, if you talk about what's right and wrong, then you're into the law or you're illegalist. You're into legalism or the law. And they're just, they're just ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. Let me explain to you what the law is and what legalism is. The law, when the New Testament says we don't live by the law anymore, it says we don't live, it doesn't, it's not saying there's no right or wrong. It's talking about the law of Moses. The law of Moses. It was a very complicated, burdensome thing that everybody had to follow. And it was very detailed. When you could work, when you couldn't work. When you had to worship, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. You know, that's where you get kosher from. And it was not just about hot dogs. I mean, it's kosher everything. And they, it was a big deal. They had rules about everything. If you've never read the law of Moses, let me encourage you tonight to read the book of Deuteronomy, particularly if you're having a difficult time sleeping. It's like pouring sand in your eyes. Good Lord, it's just brutal. They had rules about everything, stuff you and I would never think of in a million years. They had a rule about it. It's like, oh my goodness, okay? Uh, the good news is we don't live by this anymore. Now, in the early church, they weren't sure yet. One of the big, the big major argument that you read about in the New Testament in the beginning was, do we have to obey the law of Moses? Uh, and they, they would call it the circumcision. Because that meant if you are going to obey the law of Moses, men have to get circumcised. You cannot be a Christian if you're not circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you can't be a Christian. And finally, the church said, no, it's okay. We don't live by the law of Moses anymore. Thank God. It's hard enough to get guys to come to church. 
Oh, good grief. Can you imagine carrying that deal around? So we don't, we're not into the law. And don't let people, some well-meaning but nitwit, quote the Old Testament at you. Okay, people do this all that way. You know, the Bible says, and they quote the Bible. Yeah, the Old Testament part of the Bible that we don't live by anymore. Oh, the Bible says you shouldn't eat pork. You know, if you're in the health of them, well, if you want to eat pork or not, that's your own call. But don't quote the Bible about it. We don't live by the law of Moses. Some people say, well, you know, you shouldn't have tattoos. The Bible says you shouldn't have, yeah, in the law of Moses. But we don't live by the law of Moses. My advice, though, is don't get a tattoo. You know, so well, you looked weird when you were younger. Yeah, but we could change. You get a tattoo, it ain't never going away. But that's your call, okay? Just wisdom. <laughs> we could cut our hair eventually, <laughs> or it fell out. All right, anyway. Uh, but don't quote the old tell, you know, the Bible says about it. Be aware. Whenever it starts quoting the Bible, pay attention. You should know your Bible, know what they're talking about. When they start quoting the law of Moses, just move on because we don't live by that. Thank God, okay? We live by the law of grace now, which does not eliminate truth or right or wrong. It's just that we don't live by the law of Moses. And we're not talking about legalism. Legalism, let me give you a good definition of legalism. Legalism is when you add to what's already been established as truth. For example, the rule should be in your home that children should not play in the street. Unless you're in a hurry to get rid of your children, you don't have them play in the street. Okay? So, a legalist would come along and say, well, then you can't play in the yard and you have to stay inside. Because if you play in the yard, you'll be tempted to go into the street. And another pinhead would say, well, you can be inside, but you have to close the curtains. Because if you have the curtains open, they'll look outside, they'll be tempted to go into the grass and then they'll wind up in the street. And another idiot will come along and say, no, now we keep our children in the basement. Because if they go upstairs, they'll be tempted to open the curtains, they'll see the grass, they'll go outside, and they'll end up in the street. Legalists are idiots by extension. Okay? They're pinheads. It's just stupidity by extension. We do not do that here. We're not into legalism. Churches used to be into legalism up to their eyeballs. Some of you geezers my age and older will remember these days. You know, there was a day back when, you know, in churches, you couldn't play cards. You know, you couldn't be playing go fish with your kids. Because if you start playing cards, they might turn into poker, and they'll start gambling, and turn into alcoholics, and end up on skid row. <laughs> How many of you remember those rules? Anybody here? Yeah, you couldn't play cards. You couldn't, no. You certainly couldn't go dancing, because that could end up sex in the backseat of a car. Okay, and then you can't go roller skating. Because roller skating is too much like dancing. How many of you remember that stuff? I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. This was like normal Christianity. They were crazy. They were making stuff up. The Bible didn't talk about any of that stuff. But what they would do is they'd take a standard, and because we're not supposed to do that, therefore we can't do this, 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 or that. And they're legalistic nitwits. There's still some of that in many churches today. In fact, virtually every evangelical church this morning that serves communion will not serve wine. We're heretics because we serve wine here. Because we happen to believe in, you know, the Bible. <laughs> but they won't serve wine because, well, because you're not supposed to be an alcoholic. Well, okay. Well, well, then you can't touch wine. Because if you drink a little thing of wine, you might go home and grab a bottle of Jack Daniels and be drunk by tonight. <laughs> really? You're a pinhead. 
You go to a church like that, they're wonderful people, God bless them, but they're pinheads. They're legalists. They're being legalistic about stuff like that. Well, we don't want to cause anybody to stumble. No one has ever stumbled because someone took a little tiny of wine. Now, if you grab all of them, it's going by. <laughs> That's a little different. You see somebody do that, slap them. <laughs> We're not into legalism. Adding to stuff because it says this, we can't do any that, 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 is absurd and it's ridiculous and it's just plain stupid. It is stupidity by extension. All right? Now, having said all of that, there is basic Christian morality. The New Testament is what we follow, the teachings of Jesus is what we follow. It was birthed out of the Old Testament. We get it, but Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. We don't do all that stuff anymore, but there's still basic right and wrong. Jesus didn't come and knock it all down. If anything, he took it to the next level. He said, Moses told you to do this, but I'm telling you to do that. Moses said, do this, I'm telling you to do that. He was strong, especially about sexual sin. He says, if you so much as look at a woman lustfully, you're already committing adultery in your heart. Knock it off. Then he goes on to say, if your eye offend you, pop it out. You think I mean? Your hand offend you? Cut it off. At least I'm not slicing and dicing you, all right? I mean, the Lord was very, now we don't know if anyone's ever done that, and I don't think the point was to actually do that. The point was, stop it. Whoa. It was very strong about it. Very strong about commitment to your wife. You shouldn't divorce your wife and go marry somebody else. That's wrong. Jesus was extremely clear about it. Well, Moses said that was okay. He said, I don't care what Moses said. Jesus didn't come and lower the bar. He raised the bar on basic morality, basic right and wrong. But he didn't hate anybody. But this version of Christianity today, it's because we believe in grace. There's nothing really right or wrong. It is not grace, it's grease. And it is not helpful. Now, there's several times in the, Old, in the New Testament where they basically give a list of God's moral code, what is right and wrong. The list, at various times, We'll add one thing or drop another thing, you know, but it's pretty consistent. It's all basic, the same kind of stuff. I want to read to you one of the basic lists. This is in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Now, Paul writing to the Corinthians, they're having problems, they're doing a bunch of stupid things. And he asks them, you know, uh, basically what is a rhetorical question. In other words, you already know the answer to it. Although today, I don't think people, it's not a rhetorical question today because people don't know the answer to it. Here's the answer. Question, he says, don't you know? That wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. A rhetorical question in his day. Today, the answer is, nope, they don't know that. Sorry, Paul. Nope, the answer is no. Don't they know if you do wrong, you don't get in? Nope, they don't know that. They think, as long as they believe, (laughs) everything's okay. No, you've got to do the right things. There's basic Christian morality. Jesus, then Paul goes on, he says the next words, Do not be deceived. Do you know what it means to be deceived? It means to accept as true something that is false. If you take something that is false and you accept it, well, I think it's true. You are deceived. And I've just described millions of Christian people who ignore what the Bible teaches. And the Bible clearly says this or that is right or wrong. And they go, well, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's fine. Well, that means you are deceived. Don't be deceived. Now Paul goes in and he starts giving us the basic list. It's a simple list. Again, he does it several times throughout the New Testament. 
Some words are dropped, some added, you know, but it's pretty clear. You basically get the idea of what is considered right. Now, now let me, before I even get into this, let me, tell, let me tell you about this list. This basic list of Christian morality is virtually agreed upon by every religion in the world. Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, we all disagree about a great many things. But there's two things we pretty much agree on. One, that there is a God, and two, there are some things that really tick him off. All right? And the list of what ticks him off is virtually universal. What I'm about to read to you is accepted by Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Hindu. I've got to say this. Amazing. I even have to go to set this up to put it in context because that's how far we've fallen today. 20 years ago, nobody in America even questioned this list. But today, <gasps> you're saying that's wrong? Yeah, well, I'm not saying it's wrong. Paul said it was wrong, and virtually every religion in the world says God finds it offensive. Let's look at some of the things that God finds offensive. He says, neither the sexually immoral. Well, of course, people are like, well, it doesn't matter. Well, it's just pictures on the screen. It's okay. Everybody does it. <laughs> no, everybody doesn't do it, and you shouldn't do it. Well, I know I'm not supposed to have sex with my girlfriend, but we love each other. I don't care. It makes no difference at all. It's wrong. Sexually immoral. Nor idolaters. Nor adulterers. So he's back on the sex thing again. Adulterers. You should not be having an affair with your neighbor's wife or anybody else's wife. It's called adultery. But, we, Pastor, we didn't mean for it to happen. We really love each other. We fell in love. I said, you don't fall in love. You fall in the toilet. But anyway, they fell. They fell in love. And we really love you. And listen to me. I'm not being facetious right now. You may truly love that woman more than you have ever loved anybody. In fact, the love you two share might be greater than any love that any human being has ever experienced. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm being sincere. Honestly. It might be the greatest human love that has ever existed since the beginning of time. That is how great the love you are having with your neighbor's wife. And you know what? It's still wrong. Because human love does not extend greater than God. And that's what we think today. Doesn't matter what you do. As long as two people love each other, right? That's the thing. Well, who we say two people love each other? Well, look, you know, what they say legal or nothing, that's the politicians figure out. I don't really give two tenths of a cent about it. I don't care what everybody else thinks. My understanding of what's right and wrong comes from God's word. And agreed upon by virtually every other religion in the world. Doesn't matter how much you feel about somebody. Doesn't matter. It's still wrong. Say, you're just full of hate. I don't hate anybody. It's the list. Neither the sexually immoral adulterers nor men who have sex with men. But it's a hot issue today. Oh, you hate gays. I don't hate anybody. It's part of the list. All right, which again, agreed upon by virtually every religion in the world. Despite all our disagreements, we believe there's a God and everybody agrees these things, it's not okay with him. Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty clean. Pretty black and white. Beautiful. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about these things. I just read to you what the Bible says about it. 
And it's very clear. Now, do we hate any of these people? No. I have friends that fit into virtually every one of these categories. I do. Not Bob, but, you know, others. <laughs> and it's okay. You're supposed to have non-Christian friends. How you get people to become Christians is you become their friends first. We got people's homes. They're doing God knows what. We've been in people's homes. They're sexually immoral, committing adultery, lying, cheating, gay. We've just got some great gay friends. They're wonderful. They don't claim to be Christians. They know what we think, but we're just being nice to them. You can be nice to people. You don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. But at the end of the day, we are supposed to avoid these things. Because if you do these things, you're going to be in trouble. And it's not just one group of people. Look at all the lists. All the lists includes virtually everybody in this room at some point has hit one of these. So then we're all doomed to know. Why? Because we believe in the forgiveness sins. Not the acceptance of sin. That it's okay it doesn't matter. No, no. It's not okay. It does matter. But do you hate us? No. We don't hate anybody. Why? Because we believe in the forgiveness of sin. Look, I don't hate anybody. And I think I've heard it. At least I think I've heard it all. About the time I think I heard it all, I hear a new version of something that just, oh my God, you did what? There's always a new level. Someone gets very creative in Crazyville. But we don't hate them. I don't hate anybody. And even pastors who do this stuff, you know, everybody gets really mad at them. You're not a pastor, he committed adultery. Pastor, don't you hate those guys who committed No, I don't hate them. And but for the grace of God, there goes me. There's people a lot smarter than me that have done this. There's pastors a lot more spiritual than I am who've done this. There's pastors who read the Bible a lot more than I do who've done it. I'll go around saying, oh, I'd never do it. The Bible says the minute you think, I'd never do that, that's when you're going to do it. Anybody in this room is capable of anything given the right circumstances. That's why we pray that we fall not into temptation. You have to pray that. Why? Because if you fall into temptation, any one of you do anything. So we don't go around and say, well, I'd never do that. No, we say, Lord, thank you for your grace. And I pray, keep me from temptation." I don't hate these guys. I mean, pastor recently in Appleton, big church, came out, he's having an affair. And I've talked to these guys, you know. Churches kill them. Everybody who was their friend has nothing to do with them. Everybody just drips them to pieces. Really? That's what we're supposed to do? You know, I called him. I've called the guy two, three times. I didn't really know him, but we'd met before. I've called him, talked to him. How you doing? Oh, it's rough. Yeah, that's why you shouldn't do that stuff. But God doesn't hate you because we believe in the forgiveness of sin. Now, he needs to stop it. They usually stop at that point, but it's too late. We don't need to hate anybody. We don't hate people. But for the grace of God, there goes me. The only thing playing in my favor is at some point you get so old, bald, and fat, nobody wants you anymore, so you're safe. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my God. Uh, I could say more. I will not. I will move on. Okay. Just get on with it, Gunger. All right. 
So my problem is with people who make mistakes with anybody. My problem is people who do things that are wrong and say it's okay. That's what ticks me off, particularly Christians. Non-Christians, of course, they're going to say it's okay. None of that stuff matters. Well, you know, you know. Okay, well, I don't walk around picketing and yelling and screaming. I don't know why people get so upset about sinners acting like sinners. It doesn't bother me. That's what they do. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in anything we believe in. Okay, what ticks me off is Christians, people who claim to be Christians, who do, do these things and not only do them, but cherish doing them. And remember, just me going through this list, I've got to set it all up and try and explain it. 20 years ago, everybody in America agreed with this list. Not anymore. We have really been going down a fast, slippery slope, and it's only getting worse. It's only getting worse, you know. Need to be careful, the thought police out there, man. It's going to get to the point where they're going to come after you no matter what you say if you don't fit the line. You know, we're just reading here in the newspaper about this idiot basketball guy who said all these racist things and they're going to take away and take away his business and stuff like that. And, you know, and clearly the guy was a moron. Good Lord. But we've got to be careful. You know, he said something in private. It's reported. How many of you said things in private you hope nobody else hears? In fact, on the way here, I said a few things I'm glad none of you heard. Anyway. <laughs> and then we're going to come after people. I told my wife, you know, because we're all mortified by what's going on. I said, I said, but Debbie, it's just a matter of time before they start coming for us. You said, what in the pulpit? You can't say that. You can't. I'm telling you. We need to step back and get a reality check. People need to calm down. People are stupid. We get into the world, we're the thought police. I'm telling you. It's going to get to the place in, where pastors will never be able to read a, a verse like I just read. So I got the Duck Dynasty guy in so much trouble. He read this verse. You think all hell broke loose over that. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they'll come for me next. You know, whatever. We don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. But for the grace of God, that's me. People can make the biggest mistakes in the world. Do you know what? We don't hate them. Do you know why? Because we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We will encourage you not to do these things. It doesn't mean we hate people who do them. Jesus, again, as strong as his stand was on morality and divorce and marriage and all this stuff. We read an account in closing here in John, the fourth chapter. He meets this woman at the well. It's one of the most famous encounters that Jesus had in the Gospels. We read about it. It says, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Uh, well, his disciples had gone into town to buy food, so nobody could help him. He was by just him and this lady. Well, a Samaritan woman was... Who are you? I don't know who you are. Now, this, this was very strict culture back then. You know, men and women didn't even really engage much in conversation. Much less, as soon as she looked at Jesus, she could tell he was a Jew because of the way they dressed. And she knew Jews hated Samaritans. They looked down on them very disgustingly. And Jesus said, would you give me a drink? And the Samaritan looks at him and says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate, it says there, with Samaritans. 
Jesus just looked at her and said, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. So right away, Jesus starts ministering life to the lady. Living water? Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this water? (laughs) Kind of a barky lady. (laughs) Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank for himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, look, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. See, he's trying to talk to her about spiritual things. He says, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But she's still not hearing it. All she's hearing is water. And then she says to him, well, sir, give me some of this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to this stupid well. (laughs) And Jesus said, okay, but uh, go, call your husband and come back. And she goes, well, I, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you know, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. You're just living with the dude. What you've just said is quite true. Now, this shocks the lady. How can he possibly know this? And he keeps talking to her. And of course, she becomes a believer. She runs into town, tells everybody about Jesus. They come out. They believe. I mean, it's a big deal. But stop and think about this. Jesus knew who this lady was. Jesus has some pretty high standards. Truth. But yet he engages this woman who not only has messed up once, but twice, three times, four times, five times. Certainly, at some point, you got to think about the fifth guy. What was he thinking? <laughs> You've gone through four. Well, I'll be number five. You know, so I don't know. some people are a little, you know. And then she fails with him and just moves in with the next guy. Everything she's doing is wrong, and Jesus knows it. Does he hate her? Does he criticize her? Does he say, woman, you know adulterers are going to go to hell. Now, is it true that these behaviors will cause us big trouble with God? Yes. But what does Jesus do? He comes and he ministers life to her. He loves, how can he do that? Because we believe in the forgiveness of sin. It's different. He didn't say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like the woman who was caught in adultery. They came to him and said, now the Bible says, quoting from the Old Testament, the law, the Old Testament law, if you caught a woman in adultery, you stone her to death. They come to Jesus and now, Jesus, it says there in the law of Moses, we're supposed to stone her to death. Jesus didn't argue with that. Yeah, you're right. It does say that. That's the truth. That's the truth. But then he said, whoever's without sin, be the first one to throw a stone. And everybody turned around and left. Jesus comes to the lady and says, hey, where are your accusers? She looks up. She says, they're not here anymore. He said, I don't condemn you either. But now go and sin no more. See, it's not okay. He didn't say, hey, it doesn't matter. I'm sure you were in love. I'm sure you're married to a man who's a real jerk and doesn't meet your emotional needs. It's not right for you to do all. No, it's still not. Truth is truth. But he reaches out to her because as Christians, we celebrate this glorious truth that we believe in the forgiveness 
of sins. Not the dismissal, not the ignorance, not the saying there is no sin. There is sin. There's things that are right. There are things that are wrong. And the Bible's very clear. Basic Christian morality is without question. We don't get caught up in the law of Moses and we're not talking about legalism. We're talking basic Christian morality. We need to honor God as people of faith. We need to do the right thing. But if you fail, if you fail, come to God. Don't run away from him. You see people who are doing bad things out there who are not Christians? Don't hate them. Love them. Reach out. Be their friends. Well, they're doing such and such. I know. That's okay. You know, try and live the kind of life that they'll get to know you and want to know Jesus. And they can too experience the forgiveness of their sins. That's what we believe here at Celebration Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, we don't want to be as so many who dismiss your truth and treat you with disrespect. God, we know what the truth is and we want to respect that. And we want to honor that. And we want to adjust our lives to line up with your truth. But we're so grateful, Lord. Your word says that if we sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us not to judge or hate other people. Help us not to sit in disgust towards others. Help us not to get angry at people who live lives that we disapprove of. And help us not to be the kind that turn around and lash out at others who make mistakes and fall, even some of our own leaders. But help us to walk in love. Help us to be kind. Help us to be gracious. Because, Father, you've taught us. Because you've taught us, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Bless you.